really do believe we're entering an era where everyone will have a suitable donor. That we will no longer have these barriers so that a patient can't get a transplant because we can't find a donor for them. The Medical Alley Podcast is brought to you by MentorMate. For over 20 years, the healthcare industry's largest companies have trusted MentorMate to guide their vision while designing and developing innovative digital products. Whether you're powering a medical device, overhauling your backend architecture, or reimagining your patient experience, MentorMate can help. The global team takes a personalized and in-depth approach to deliver secure solutions in all sectors of healthcare. With deep expertise in design, development, cloud, and software support, MentorMate helps healthcare clients administer state-of-the-art care through technology. Trusted guidance, global expertise, secure integration. MentorMate delivers digital transformation at scale. Learn more at MentorMate.com. everybody and welcome to the Medical Alley podcast. I am not Frank Tuskulki, the usual host of the show. I am Tyler Mason, the digital media manager here at the Medical Alley Association. I'm normally behind the scenes on the podcast, but excited to be jumping on the microphone today and really excited about the guests we have representing a sustaining member, Be The Match. We're joined today by Chief Medical Officer of the National Marrow Donor Program, Be The Match, Dr. Stephen Devine. And we're going to be talking about eliminating racial disparities in, in bone marrow transplants. Dr. Devine, how are you today? Very good. How are you, Tyler? I'm doing well, thanks. I'm excited to, to be chatting with you here. So I guess let's give a little bit of kind of a primer before we jump into some of the, the bigger topics here. Just tell us a little bit about yourself and then also about NMDP and Be The Match. Sure. So um, get Steve Devine. I'm a medical oncologist who's focused most of my career on patients in need of a blood or marrow transplant. Um, I've been the chief medical officer at uh, Be The Match National Marrow Donor Program for about four and a half years. Before that, I was uh, uh, director of the blood and marrow transplant program at Ohio State University. Okay. And so uh, uh, I joined Be The Match because it's an incredible organization with a great mission. So just to keep it simple, thousands of patients uh, are diagnosed every year with very serious blood diseases and immune system diseases that can potentially be cured with a blood or marrow transplant. And so in a nutshell, what what we do is try to connect these patients uh, in need of a life-saving transplant with volunteer donors who would be willing to donate their bone marrow or blood stem cells to a complete stranger. Sure. Yeah, it's a great introduction there. And and you talked about the blood and marrow donors. I think a lot of times people think of maybe the, the bone marrow, but as we talked about before we got on here, the blood transplant is becoming more common as well. So for those who might not be familiar, can you just kind of give a little bit of a, a briefing or an explanation on hematopoietic, I've practiced that, cell transplantation or HCT, we'll probably refer to that throughout the episode. Uh, give us an overview of what that is and who it helps. Yeah, so hematopoietic is Greek, it just means blood-forming cells. Okay. And traditionally, we used to harvest only bone marrow from our donors because that's where most of the blood-forming cells are. 
But over the years, we found ways to get those blood-forming cells to enter the bloodstream and to make it easier for people to donate their uh, blood uh, stem cells as opposed to bone marrow. So what typically happens is these patients who have these serious diseases undergo some form of preparation, usually with chemotherapy. It could also include radiation. And then we that transplant the blood or bone marrow stem cells uh, just by giving like a blood transfusion to these recipients and then we reform their um, blood system and their immune system and that can lead to a, a cure for these diseases. And as far as the, the matching process, obviously that's what Be The Match is, is all about. When it comes to finding an unrelated donor for a patient, do, do patients have the same likelihood of finding an available donor or how does, how does that kind of sort itself out? Yeah, well, unfortunately not. So we really get involved when people who are in need of a, a hematopoietic cell transplant can't find a matched donor in their family. And so that's typically when we get uh, involved. And so um, we've learned that there are certain genes that we need to look at and try to match on uh, called HLA. And so what we do is we do a search through our registry to, to try to identify if there are suitable donors. And um, if you try to find the so-called perfect donor, the likelihood of finding that donor actually varies based on race and ethnicity. So um, white people uh, might have a 75 to 80% chance of finding a donor, whereas uh, African-American black, it might only be 25 to 30 percent, and in some of the other race and ethnic groups in kind of in between. So there are unfortunately differences in the available availability of a very well-matched donor. Yeah, as far as the percentages, you, know, you just mentioned that the disparity there. What are some of those barriers that the, those, you know, in the ethnically diverse populations might face that are trying to access you know, HCT and and how might those barriers change as someone moves from maybe diagnosis to treatment to uh, you know post post transplant care? Yeah, so you can kind of break down the barriers to uh, a successful transplant into kind of two large buckets. The first would be sort of how do you actually get the right donor? What we would call the genetic barriers. That's that HLA, those genes, and um, trying to match on those genes. I told you that varies from patient to patient, mainly based on race and ethnic background, you know, your ancestry. Sure. And so what's that used to be a big barrier. Now uh, we're breaking down those barriers because we, we can use less uh, well-matched donors these, these, these days successfully. And then that other bucket would be um, sort of the non-genetic Barriers. So that, that might be financial, you know, socioeconomic, might have to do with education, might have to do with cultural barriers, you know, understanding there are trust barriers, those types of sort of non-genetic but very important barriers as well. Sure. And then as far as the, the clinical trial uh, piece of it, I know there have been some studies uh, published in recent years that kind of shine some light on some of the challenges that those uh, you know, populations that we're talking about uh, face uh, when it comes to HCT patients. 
Um, one of those studies looked at that racial and ethnic diversity in clinical trials. What what did that study find? What can you share with us about kind of what, what was in that? Well, just I'll take it back just a, a sec. So, you know, I like talking about clinical trials because that's what I did for most of my, have done for most of my career. Right. Because I think that's really how we lead to progress in anything we do. So they're vitally important, not just for um, blood and marrow transplant, but for all fields of medicine. But, you know, it, and it's not just peculiar to our field. This issue of getting more representative populations onto clinical trials, not just sort of, you know, uh, people, white people who have lots of money and access to these trials. So diversity in clinical trials is something that all of us are grappling with in all the fields uh, in, in patients with cancer who are not in need of transplant. So what we did is we looked at um, our own clinical trials um, in, in hematopoietic cell transplantation. And not surprisingly, we found that many of the clinical trials that we have conducted did not look like the U.S. Census, meaning they were heavily skewed towards um, white individuals, didn't have as many uh, African-American, Black, uh, Hispanic, Latino, Asian. And, and so we realized there's a problem. And then, you know, you know, we really need to start, in addition to recognizing and be aware of the problem, then sort of intervening, you know, how do we improve this situation? So we offer clinical trials to everyone in need. Sure. And obviously there's still challenges within that, you know, health equity on a large scale is something that, you know, is an emphasis of our association, but it's obviously a big emphasis for a lot of people these days. What, what progress have you seen in, in improving that access and closing some of those disparities in HCT? So one of the things that we've done is, you know, when you um, only conduct trials where, the donors have to be perfectly matched with the recipient or very well matched with the recipient, then, as I said before, you're skewing your eligible population of patients to mainly a white population of patients. But if you ask the question a little bit differently, if you say, well, can we use more of our donors, even if they're not matched at all of the genes, can we still have good outcomes if we use these types of less well-matched donors, then you're going to be more inclusive. And what we've shown that in a typical, in the past, a typical um, blood or marrow transplant clinical trial might only have 10 to 20 percent racially or ethnically diverse population. When we ask those uh, questions using less well-matched donors, up to 50 percent of the enrollees are actually racially or ethnically diverse. So you can do it. It just depends on how you ask the question. Sure. You mentioned the, the less less well-matched, I guess. What, what's kind of the scale of that? Or how does how do you, you know, on the lower end, how far can you go when they're still matched enough? Or how, how does that work, I guess? Yeah, well, you know, that's a great question. And the we don't really know yet okay. uh, the answer to that. Well, we, we typically look at um, eight genes. And the so-called perfect match is eight of eight matching. But in the related setting, we know you can go down to matching only at four of eight. Okay. Now, traditionally, with the unrelated donor transplants, 
we've tried to match at eight of eight and then seven of eight and not go below seven of eight. But now we're actually looking at six of eight, five of eight, and even four of eight um, with some newer approaches to trying to prevent complications. And lo and behold, we're finding actually that we, we can have good outcomes uh, even in those settings. Awesome. Right. Yeah, that's that's exciting. Uh, as far as speaking of exciting advancements, uh, what are some maybe more exciting advances in, in medicine that are improving these outcomes as far as impacting access to transplants? Yeah, so as I said, um, there have been groups that have looked at uh, newer approaches to um, preventing graft rejection, preventing other one bad complication of transplant where the donor cells try to reject the recipient called graft versus host disease. Some of these newer approaches, one of them is using a drug called cyclophosphamide after transplant. There's another drug that was actually recently FDA approved called abatacept. With these new approaches, we can actually um, successfully do transplants using less well-matched donors, even in the unrelated donor uh, space. And we're finding, again, the, the, the great thing about that, it means that virtually everybody, if we can do this successfully, would have a suitable donor. So then remember I told you about that genetic barrier? Right. We would actually knock down that genetic oh, barrier sorry. to transplant and close that gap between white patients and um, other racially and ethnically diverse populations. Sure. Wow. Yeah, that's 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 impressive. Uh, as far as research, we, we talked about some clinical trials and that sort of thing, but is there other examples of research being put into practice in, in the clinical setting? Yes. Yeah, so, well, one of the, the, I think, valid criticisms is that, you know, in academics, we perform a study and then we publish the study. Right. And, you know, a lot of times that's the end product, just that we actually got the study published. But people say, well, then, what do people do with the results of that study? How do you measure uh, whether people are implementing some of the findings from those studies and incorporating that into their practices? Sure. And so what we're trying to do now is not just say, okay, we published in the New England Journal or some other good journal, we're done, right? right. We're now going to the transplant centers and asking them, how does this affect your practice. And, and one of the things that we do also is we collect data um, on all of the transplants in the United States that are being done, all the hematopoietic cell transplants. And we can see whether they're using different donors and the types of means to prevent complications. And we've seen that change uh, over time. And we, we are seeing that people are using more mismatched unrelated donors. We've seen about 20% growth in that. So we're seeing that, that some of the studies that we're actually publishing are gaining traction with the transplant centers, and it is changing practice. We want to see more of that. We still think there's a lot of work uh, that can be done. Sure. Yeah. And the, the data that you mentioned, I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's just more and more of that every day to, to look at and to kind of figure out what to do with. So um, you know, I think that's that certainly helps as well. Uh, a couple last things for you here, Dr. Devine, uh, before we wrap up. Uh, when you look at future research that needs to be conducted to help continue to understand and, and address these barriers, what what kind of jumps out to you as far as future research that, that needs to be Well, I, you know, I, I think until we have all of the patients 
get through the transplant, their disease doesn't come back, and not only do they survive, but they have really good quality of life, right? Right. It's one thing to get through. It's another thing to get through well and live well. And so, you know, there's all of those areas still need continued improvements. I mean, we need to find ways to prevent the patients who have cancer from their disease relapsing. We not need to still find better ways to prevent graft rejection and graft-versus-host disease. And we need to do better studies where we actually go and ask patients, how do you think, what do you think of the transplant? How do you think you're doing? Sort of getting data directly from the patients, Mm -hmm. not just what the doctor says. And we're doing a better job, but I still think there's a lot of opportunities for that. And then getting more details about those non-genetic barriers to transplant. You know, was it too much... Do you, did you did you maybe not go to transplant because you had too many out of pocket expenses? Are there differences in how people perceive the transplant based on their trust or based maybe on their cultural background? There's I think lots of uh, opportunities there. Sure. That last one here, I know we're, we're coming up to to a close here, but I wanted to to kind of have you look to the future a little bit of HCT and, and tell us what you're most excited about. Yeah, well, the thing I'm most excited about is I really do believe we're entering an era where everyone will have a suitable donor, that we will no longer have these barriers so that a patient can't get a transplant because we can't find a donor for them. So, the, you know, one the, part of the vision for the National Marrow Donor Program, Be the Match Registry, is to democratize cell therapy so that everyone has you know, equitable access to transplant. I really think we're entering the phase where we will see that. And so I think then what we need to do is not lump everybody into one bucket. I think we can use genetics, genomics, science, and then some of these other questions that we ask patients to be much more personalized and individualized in our approaches rather than sort of, you know, treating everyone the same. We will treat people with what's best for their particular situation. Again, I think over the next decade, I think not just for hematopoietic cell transplantation, but I think this is where things are going, the so-called precision medicine and personalized medicine. But I think there's lots of opportunities for us to be able to do that in our field. So I'm really excited that that's a direction things are taking as well. Yeah, that'd be great to get to that point. And like you said, I think it's uh, it's definitely doable here, hopefully in the, the not too distant future. Uh, I want to say thank you, Dr. Devine, for joining us today. I know I, I learned a lot. I hope everyone listening learned a, a little bit as well. Uh, I wanted to thank you know the National Marrow Donor Program, Be the Match, for the impactful work that they do and yourself as well. So really appreciate you taking some time here today to be on the Medical Alley podcast. So, well, I'd, I'd really like to thank you, your audience, and I'd like to thank all of these selfless donors who are willing to donate uh, for patients in need. I think we should always recognize them. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you again. And and thanks to everyone for listening today to the Medical Alley podcast. I'd encourage you, if you're not already subscribing, to subscribe to the podcast so you catch all the future episodes with uh, great conversations like this one. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, have a great day.